Good morning, Friendship Church. The title of my message today is The First Easter. If you grew up celebrating Easter as a child, your family may have had all sorts of annual traditions related to the holiday. You might have dyed eggs, visited the Easter bunny, gone on uh, as many Easter egg hunts as you could possibly convince your parents to take you to, or dressed up in the nicest outfit that you had. Sometimes churches would uh, have sunrise Sunday services on Easter, which meant that we attended church bleary-eyed and thoroughly confused as to why Jesus didn't rise from the dead at a more reasonable hour. Well, for many people, Christmas and Easter are their favorite holidays. They're filled with lots of fun traditions, but the meaning behind them is even more important. Christmas is the day we celebrate Christ's birth. Easter, or Resurrection Sunday, is the day we celebrate his triumph over the grave. In terms of our Christian faith, Easter is the most important holiday on our calendar. Simply put, without Easter, there is no Christianity. If one wanted to disprove the claims of Christianity, all they would have to do is disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is absolutely critical to Christianity. Yes, Jesus performed miracles. Yes, Jesus raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, gave sight to the blind, and unstopped the ears of the deaf. But Jesus repeatedly said that he would be turned over to the religious leaders, that they would kill him, and he would rise from the dead. The most audacious and illogical claim anyone could have ever made if they were not God. It is also the easiest statement of Jesus to disprove. To show Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, all anyone had to do was find his body. For nearly 2,000 years, people have spent their lives trying to disprove the resurrection and therefore demonstrate Christianity being a fraudulent religion. As, and, and, and for 2,000 years, they failed. They failed for one simple reason. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. Time and again, several atheists who have attempted to debunk the claims of Christianity have instead been powerfully convicted by the Holy Spirit and converted to Christianity because they had a powerful encounter with the risen Christ. The one thing they spent their life's work trying to disprove became all too real for them. And they professed Jesus to truly be the Son of God. If you have your Bibles or if you're using the Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. And today we are looking at the very first Easter. Jesus did four things on the first Easter. And the first thing he did was he opened the tomb. Luke 24, we're reading verses 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone, and they being a, a group of women, which we'll be introduced to in just a minute. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you 
while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Verse 9, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I love that the first people to discover the empty grave were not the religious leaders. They weren't the, the 12 disciples. They weren't even the inner circle of three disciples that Jesus took with him even farther. Peter, James and John. They, they weren't anyone. It wasn't, it wasn't the group of people that Jesus had spent two to three years mentoring and discipling. They were a group of women. One of which was Mary of Magdala. The woman that Jesus had driven seven demons out of. That is the most beautiful part of the resurrection story. The people chosen to carry the message of the risen Christ were people many would have never chosen for such a task. And the reason is this, in this culture, women were not respected in Jewish society. Their, their testimony was not regarded as valid, which is why the disciples didn't believe them at first. And yet, God chose them to carry the message back to the disciples that Christ had risen. When they arrived at the tomb, they found the stone to be rolled away and the tomb to be empty. Two angels appeared to the ladies and asked them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. What joy must have filled their hearts. Just when they thought the rabbi that they had followed and believed to be the Messiah was dead and buried, the greatest plot twist of all time, an impossible plot twist, occurred. Jesus was dead and he was buried, but now he has been raised to life in victory. And no one can raise the dead but God. Jesus said he had the power to lay his life down and the power to raise it back up again. And when they saw the empty tomb, they knew that Jesus was truly the Messiah they had been waiting for. Luke 24, verse 12, it says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. So when they took the message back to the disciples, the disciples must have thought it was the least funny joke they had ever heard. Yet their determination and the conviction in their story of these ladies led Peter to take a risk and to run to the tomb to see for himself with the Apostle John joining him. When they arrived at the tomb, they found it empty with only the burial clothes remaining. Jesus was gone. So first of all, Jesus opened the tomb. The second thing Jesus did on the very first Easter is he opened their eyes. Let's pick up the passage, verses 13 through 18. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Emmaus was a small village about eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. The two men walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus were discouraged disciples. They had believed in Christ, but had witnessed his death on the cross. With nothing left to do, they left home. They headed home discouraged and disappointed. Jesus joined them, but they didn't recognize him. He asked them what they were talking about, and they were so shocked that a man coming from Jerusalem had not heard about all of the uproar over the weekend, how this was the one Passover unlike any other. Verses 19 through 24, it says, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So these two men walking along the road to Emmaus explained to Jesus, whom they still don't recognize, they don't realize that it's him. They explained to Jesus how women had found the tomb to be empty. Then some disciples had confirmed that his body was gone. Yet it never dawned on them that Jesus had risen from the dead as he said that he would. They had just received multiple reports of an empty tomb and yet reasoned someone must have stolen his body. They left Jerusalem with the resurrection report in their minds, but not in their hearts. How devastating it would have been for them to return to their families, return to their village and share the message of all that Jesus had done, that Jesus had died. Eyewitnesses had confirmed his body was gone, but they didn't know what to make of it. So Jesus must have been just another fake Messiah. How devastating that message would have been to people's faith. Verses 25 through 27 and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why did Jesus appear to those men on the road to Emmaus that day? to ensure that these disciples who had placed their trust in Jesus got the story straight before going home. Jesus used the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the, the books of Moses as they're called, and all the writings of the prophets and the Psalms to reveal to them that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he had to suffer all of these things and that all scripture pointed to him. As many Jews today these men had read the Tanakh, what we, what Christians call the Old Testament, and they never understood the role that the Messiah would fulfill when he came. They thought he would overthrow Rome. 
They thought he would usher in a new messianic kingdom where he would be the ruling king. That he would liberate them from physical slavery, not spiritual slavery. Jesus explained that all the scriptures revealed the right way of thinking about the Messiah. They heard it, started to understand it, but still didn't know that it was Jesus speaking to them. Verses 28 through 31 it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted like he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It wasn't until Jesus took the bread at their meal and blessed it. Then their eyes were opened that it was finally Jesus that had been talking to them this whole time. Why did that event why did the breaking and the blessing over the bread become the event where their eyes were opened? Well, first of all, the bread that they used was without leaven, which symbolized sin in the, uh, in the scriptures. Leaven, yeast, it, it, it symbolized the existence of sin in a person. And so it is pierced on one side and striped on the other side. And so we ask ourselves, what is the blessing that Jesus would have said over the bread? Well, in Hebrew, it is Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Hamotze Lechem Min HaAretz. And in English, that's translated as, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Now, Jesus had repeatedly referred to himself as the bread of life. Hamotze Lechem, the bread of life. Now he is the bread of life that God has brought forth from the earth, according to their prayer. He is the bread of life that God has brought forth from the earth, brought forth out of the grave, out of the tomb, out from the dead. And I imagine Jesus gave them a little smile when he prayed that prayer. Then their eyes were opened that they had been talking to Jesus, the bread of life the entire time. Jesus opened the tomb and now he's opened their eyes. It is no insignificant detail that it was during the breaking of bread, what Christians call communion, that Christ was revealed to them. Verses 31 through 35. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. After they got it, after they understood that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead and physically appeared to them, he vanished. They raced back to Jerusalem to confirm the reports of the women, to confirm the report of Peter and to tell what had just happened to them as well. So he opened the tomb, he opened their eyes and number three, he opened their minds. 
Luke 24, 36, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. The disciples had self-quarantined out of fear that the religious leaders would call for their arrest and a Roman soldiers would do to them what they had done to Jesus. Even in the midst of reports of Jesus' body missing, they still had not accepted that he was indeed risen from the dead. Their hearts were filled with fear and uncertainty of the future. They didn't want to step outside because they didn't know what dangers waited for them out there. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples when he walked into the room were, Shalom Aleichem, peace to you. The presence of God always brings peace in fearful situations. I'll say it again. The presence of God always brings peace in fearful situations. Verses 37 and 38. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a ghost, a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He asked them, why are you troubled? Why are you agitated? Why are you set on edge? Why are you filled with anxiety? Why are you distressed? And then he asked them, why do doubts arise in your spirit? The Greek word for doubt means two words, two discussions, two thoughts. There was clearly a debate raging in their hearts because they couldn't decide what was true. Had Jesus actually risen from the dead? Or was it just a hoax? If Jesus rose from the dead, why had he appeared to these two random guys and not his inner circle of disciples? Where was he? What was he doing that was so important that it took him away from them? Doubts had arisen in their heart. Verses 39 through 40, it says, Jesus speaking, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They still thought they were seeing a ghost since he had walked through a locked door to prove that it was indeed him and that it was him in the flesh. He showed them his hands and his feet that had been pierced. He encouraged them to touch them, to dispel any myths, any, any doubts in their minds. But they were still so filled, they were, they were still filled with such shock and disbelief. Verses 41 through 43, it says, And while they were still dis while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. The Greek expression at the beginning of verse 41, it says they couldn't believe it because of their joy and their amazement. This appearance of Jesus was too good to be true. They were so overjoyed that he was really there in person. Then he ate food right in front of them, proving that he was not a ghost, proving that he was not a spirit, but that it was him in a resurrected and glorified body. And this detail is important because of the claims that these disciples had merely seen the spirit of Jesus or maybe some ghost impersonating Jesus. The fact that he ate food and they all witnessed it disproved any of those accusations. 
verses 44 through 48. It says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written and the, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In addition to the presence of Christ, he gave them peace and assurance through the word of God. He demonstrated through scripture the entire Tanakh, the, the Torah, the books of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, that they all pointed to him. If one prophecy had been left unfulfilled, then anyone could have made the claim that Jesus was not the Jewish Messiah. But if every single prophecy had been fulfilled in him, then no one could correctly claim that he was not. It was a huge privilege that they had to be the eyewitnesses of his ministry, of his death, of his resurrection. But privilege always brings responsibility. He told them that they were witnesses of this truth. And the word here for witness is the word martyr. They were witnesses of this truth all the way to their death. One pastor said, as Christians, we're not judges or prosecuting attorneys sent to condemn this world. We are witnesses who point to Jesus Christ and tell lost sinners how to be saved. John's gospel recorded that Thomas was not with them when Jesus appeared this time. When the disciples all told Thomas uh, what had happened, he refused to believe it. John chapter 20, verse 25, it, he said, Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where the spear had been thrust, I will never believe. There are people like that. Regardless of the testimony, regardless of the experiences of others, they refuse to believe the truth. It is so sad. That seems to be the case with family members, friends. They want Christ to appear to them personally, or they refuse to accept the validity of the truth of Christ. Thankfully, for Thomas's sake, Jesus did. John wrote, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom Aleichem, again, peace unto you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That was the only appropriate response to Christ's generous appearance to Thomas. Even Jesus told him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So he opened the tomb, he opened their eyes, he opened their minds, and finally Jesus opened their mouths. Verse 49, and behold, Jesus speaking, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What Luke left out of his account is that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. He appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. 
His message to them and presence with them left them empowered to wait for the promise of the Father so they could preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. The task was too great for them to do it on their own. They must have God's help. They would face questioning, beatings, persecution, rejection, and many of them would face martyrdom. With the advent, without the advent of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, this movement would solely be based on human ability and would not make it very far. However, this gospel had to be preached to all mankind and that would take God's help. Verses 50 through 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I love this picture of Jesus. Jesus is the exalted king of kings and he's still leading this group of fishermen, tax collectors and Bible school dropouts. As he stood on a mountain, he lifted up his hands and he pronounced a blessing upon these people. What an awe-inspiring moment when Christ prays for you, when Christ blesses you. And when God blesses something, no one can curse it. We don't know exactly what Jesus said as a blessing over the disciples. He could have spoken the Lord's blessing from Numbers chapter 6, which says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That would have been an amazing blessing for the Son of God to speak. From Matthew's account, we do know one thing that Jesus said. One of the blessings, one of the promises that he spoke to them. He said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, even to the completion of the world. What a promise, what a reassurance and a blessing that would have been from God in the flesh. And that promise extends to us as well. He is with us always. How did the disciples respond? Verses 52 through 53. And they worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The resurrection reality opened their mouths to praise God. Their mouths were no longer filled with division and doubts and confusion. The reality of the living Messiah had filled their hearts and minds and now their mouths in praise to God. What in the world could they fear? They watched Jesus ascend into heaven right before their very eyes. The writer of Hebrews expressed it perfectly in Hebrews 13, 6. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? They returned to Jerusalem in obedience to Christ's instructions, letting joy and worship fill their hearts. They were continually in the temple blessing God and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to all who would listen. We're going to go towards taking communion together. So if you have your elements available, go ahead and grab them. As I said earlier, I think it's a significant detail that Christ was revealed to the two men who were walking home to Emmaus when he broke the bread and he blessed it. Communion, as we call it, is always treated reverently and with respect. We try to understand the incredible sacrifice that Jesus paid for our salvation, but every attempt still falls short. 
His pain was greater than you could imagine. His beard was ripped off of his face. He was punched and slapped and spat upon and humiliated. He was beaten with reeds. Then he was whipped with the most brutal whip known to man that literally peeled the flesh off of his back. His rightful kingly ancestry was mocked when a crown of thorns was put on his head and blood began to pour into his eyes. After surviving such a tremendous beating, which some prisoners did not survive, he was made to carry his own cross down the streets of Jerusalem, outside the city to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He was nailed to a cross, his blood pouring down the wood of that cross. When God created the world, I wonder what he thought about when he put the metal in the earth that would eventually be used for the nails that would pierce his son's body. What went through his mind when he created the trees that would one day be fashioned into the cross bearing his body? What was on his mind when he made the thorn bush that became the crown, the, the cow's hide that became the leather straps that whipped him, the reeds that were used to beat him? I'll tell you what was on his mind, you and me. If you are not in right standing with God, there's no better time than right now to get right with him. At the Last Supper and with the men at Emmaus, he held up the bread that represented his body, broken and pierced and striped for our healing. He held up the cup of wine that represented his body being poured out. It was the most generous gift anyone could have given another human being to lay down their life for one another. And Jesus did that for you and me. So this is the perfect time for you to look at the condition of your own heart and to get right with the Lord. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10 that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you are saved. And if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Lord will be your helper and you will never have any reason to be afraid. Take a moment this morning and prepare your heart. Pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, thank you for this amazing grace and love in the salvation that you have provided through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the price that he paid that I could never have paid for my own sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that I have in Christ Jesus. Help me live a life that's worthy of that incredible sacrifice. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, and help me to have the strength to, when I face temptation, help me be a witness for you to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is cause for celebration. The Bible says that you are now a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. If you would like information about growing in your relationship with the Lord, let us know by sending us a message on Facebook, a comment on the YouTube video, requesting prayer on the live stream, or sending us an email. We would love to provide you with the resources, the tools to help you succeed in your walk with the Lord. As believers, with eyes wide open in appreciation of what Christ did for us, let us now partake 
in communion together. We know these are unique circumstances and normally we would pass the bread and the juice down the aisle. Today, we will take probably the most unorthodox communion we've ever done since you'll just have to use what's available to you. Sandwich bread, saltines, or whatever kind of bread you may have will do today. If you have grape juice, that's great, but if you don't, that's okay as well. The point today is to remember him in this moment. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's break the bread. Blessed are you, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And blessed are you, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, who became the bread of life that was brought forth out of the grave into resurrection life. Let's eat the bread together. Paul continues. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. You told your disciples that you are the vine and we are the branches. Our job is not to produce the fruit, but to bear the fruit. So help us, Lord. Bear the fruit that you produce so the world will know that, you, that, that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's drink the cup together. Thank you, Friendship Church, for celebrating Resurrection Sunday with us. We pray that this service has been a blessing. If you're watching the live stream, you can click. If you need prayer at the bottom, bottom right-hand corner of the live stream, we would love to pray with you. Be on, the YouTube, be on the lookout for the YouTube links that will be available shortly and share them on your page so that other people may watch an Easter service because you never know which one of your friends is desperate for a message of hope and grace that we serve a risen Lord. Allow me to pray a final blessing over you this special day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For behold, he is with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the completion of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Stick around if you need prayer. Click the button. Someone will be with you to pray with you. Uh, but God bless you and have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday.